I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think we need to talk about Kevin, which I've been waiting to say for this whole podcast. I finally got it in. We need to talk about Kevin. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Bake Down Podcast. My name's Sarah. I will be your host today, and with me, as usual, we have the lovely Jane Beadle, Dan Beasley Harling, and Howard Middleton. And this week it's Custard Week, and I'm very much going to enjoy the split in the interview we have today because Howard and me will be saying custard and Jane and Dan will be saying custard so that's going to be very entertaining for me. <laughs> we had an eel flottant signature, we had ice cream and waffle cones technical and we had a custard gatto showstopper. So let's dive straight in. Jane, big fan of custard? Oh, I love custard. I love custard in all all its very variants, if that's the right word. Yes, I like it cold, I like it hot, I like it set, I like it runny. I could I think I could live on custard actually. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Howard, you're northern, so I'm assuming custard is a big yes for you too. Oh, it's a big yes for me. It's an even bigger yes for Peter. Oh, gosh. You know, the things he will have custard with. I, I occasionally will like a bit of whipped cream, but if he can get custard on something, he will do. So, yeah. Custard and cream. And then if you're really, really pushing the boat out, a dollop of ice cream as well. Oh, good there God. We go. right. Heaven on plate. I have to say, I love custard. Obviously, English people all love custard. British people, I should say. And I don't know about you guys, but I think it's a very rare occasion where I teach a class that doesn't involve making some kind of custard, whether it's a, it's usually a creme pat or a variation upon it. So I think every week is custard week in my house. Um, and I dare say it's probably the same for you guys as well, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think, I think Kevin showed his knowledge, didn't he, by kind of listing off a long list of, of custard uses and different types of custard. So, yeah. I was, I actually started listing them, actually. Yes, I don't know whether I can pronounce it. Yeah. Creme Chibouste. 
Mm. Yeah, I've never made a creme shaboost, which you add meringue to. You should come to my Gatterton Honoré class. Well, perhaps I should, if I've really got nothing better to do. Wow. It's, I have to say, it's <laughs> delicious. It's delicious, but it's not very stable. Um, so that's probably why uh, we don't, it doesn't last very long. But very much like mayonnaise, you can make lots of things with mayonnaise. The creme pat is like that of the sweet world, and you can turn it into a bunch of different things, can't you, Jane? You can, as we've proved in this episode, actually. But it was the creme légère. I'd never heard the word légère before. And when I looked it up, it, you had whipped cream, which is actually creme diplomat. So is légère just another name for diplomat? I think, I could be wrong, but I think it's only creme diplomat if you add gelatin to it, technically speaking. And then if you just whip it, you whip the custard and then add whipped cream, I think that's creme légère. I'm not sure, but even if I don't add gelatin, I tend to call it creme diplomat anyway. So... Oh, I've, I've been calling it the wrong thing then, yeah. So I, yeah, I thought, oh, right, okay, we, we stand correct. Well, you learn something every day, don't you? And then creme au beurre. It sounds like it would be your favourite, Dan, which is creme mousseline, which is custard <laughs> with, which is my least favourite, with butter whipped into it, whipped butter added to it, which I really don't like very much. But I think that's French buttercream, isn't it? So it's that, French buttercream. Yeah. That's exactly right. Isn't that egg yolks, just egg yolks and sugar syrup? Yes, you whip it up in the same way. I think we've talked about it actually probably in a previous episode. You whip up your egg yolks and you pour in a hot syrup in the same way as you do Italian meringue and you whip that up into this lovely, lovely, fluffy stuff and then you beat butter into it and it makes the most delicious buttercream. I absolutely love it. It's richer than the Italian buttercream, I think. For some reason, I wouldn't have ever considered that a custard. It's a, I consider it just a buttercream, but I guess it is a custard, isn't it? Isn't it? Mm, well, I guess it is. Same yeah. ingredients, more or less, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, without yeah. the milk, I suppose. But, yeah, they... they but butter. But butter, it's all sort of similar, isn't it? Anyway, really interesting to see some of these things. But I do recommend the French buttercream, especially if you've got some egg yolks, you don't know what to do with them, and you don't want to make mayonnaise. It makes a delicious, delicious cake filling. I really Ooh, love it. It does. But it's not very sturdy, but it is glorious. And also you need a lot of egg yolks to make a decent amount, which is possibly why it's not so popular. It doesn't whip up quite the way that egg white does. So, But it is. If you have any knocking about egg yolks and you don't know what to do with it and you don't want to make a custard custard, try a French buttercream. It's a, it's a real treat. You do need to use the sugar syrup. You must use the sugar syrup, though. I tried it once. I tested to see if you could make it in the same way as a Swiss meringue, and you can't. It doesn't work. You end up with lumps of cooked egg. So um, you have to do it with the sugar syrup. With every episode of The Bake Off, we also get one of our mystery classes. And this week, by some marvellous, amazing Bake Off Universe coincidence, it's Custard Week. We have Howard. It was meant Yay! to be. I'm so happy to be presenting Howard's Custard Week technical. It, oh, it makes me so happy. So, Howard, what are we going to be doing with you? Well, we're going to. We're actually going back. So, by, by another uh, stroke of coincidence. So, the infamous uh, Custard Week, which when we had to make trifle. Uh, and I made a, a, a creme anglaise in that. Our technical challenge in that week was Il Flotant. Stop. I know. 
can you believe it? So we are doing eel float on. <laughs> that is spooky, actually, isn't it? That is, and this is a genuine coincidence. We picked yeah. this at random. We had no idea it was going to be custard week. So there we go. So Howard, we're going to be doing eel float on. With Howard, we're going to be doing that on the 30th of October, Sunday, the 30th of October, 5 p.m. UK time. And Howard, we're also repeating this on the 5th of November, also at 5 p.m. We've been repeating a lot of these mystery classes. Thank you so much to everybody who has signed up. Please check out our website if you want to sign up to any of our classes. Head to bakewithalegend.com, click on online classes, and don't forget to use the code podcast for 10% off your next class. So let's dive headfirst straight into a big bowl of custard in our signature with our Ile Flotant, eight poached meringues on a sea of creme anglaise. We had an hour and a half to do this one and the judges wanted good colour, flavour and texture. We didn't have the best of textures from everybody, but we definitely had a big array of flavours. So Dan, which flavours really stood out for you in this challenge? Right, I'm going to start off by reading Sandro to Filth. Okay, we've had conversations before about people saying, oh, just buy biscuits. And Sandro said, oh, I can just buy a can of custard for 50p. And uh, like, first of all, there, like, yeah, fine in an emergency. But also like, my daughter has been able to make custard without a recipe since she was seven years old. It's not difficult to make a custard. It's very, very simple. Anyone can do it. And it's infinitely more delicious than anything you'll get out of a can, which is, I mean, at the risk of sounding, you know, snobbish, but we've all met me by now. It's sort of a very artificially thickened and it's not the nicest mouthfeel. And it's so easy to make a custard. Literally, my kids do it. You know, I, and I don't even, I mean, I sort of keep half an eye on them because I don't want them to burn themselves. But, you know, you, you, I don't even have to supervise them. They can do it themselves. So get straight in the bin, Sandro, with your 50p can of custard. No, thank you very much. But, yeah, I think a few of them did really well. There are obviously a couple of technical mistakes that we'll get onto later. I mean, Kevin had a bit of a nightmare. I'm sure we'll touch on that soon. But the one that I really liked, dear old bonkers Shabira with her it said it looked like deep fried chicken sat on the surface and it really did it looked like we were about to tuck into a chicken katsu I was really looking forward to it yeah um (laughs) (laughs) but it sounded lovely and it's I think you know one of the things I always I'm always drawn to is people who do sort of interesting flavors that I maybe wouldn't have done myself and um I thought Shabira's absolutely lovely and I'm still she's still probably riding high on her successes of last week and I thought I thought that one was lovely. I thought Yanish's visually was great. I wasn't convinced by his idea of poaching them in steam for some reason. I didn't feel like that would work. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I don't know if we really touched on that much in the judging, but I thought they looked great. But yeah, they did. I didn't see. I didn't notice any comments on the meringue, and I'm um, I'm I'm suspicious that that might not have been quite so wonderful. But it did look fantastic, didn't it? We obviously, when we did eel foot on as a as a technical, we had to poach the meringues. We did it in a. In, it was Mary Barry's recipe, and we did it in a a different way in that we poached our meringues in in the milk and then used that milk to actually make the uh, the creme anglaise but i think most people uh were, were doing it the other way around so they were making up their creme anglaise first and then poaching either i don't know i thought about poaching a meringue in water before i i would have always done it in milk but 
yeah, that's always done it. I've done it once before. But... <laughs> <laughs> but the meringue's not going to take up the flavour of the milk, is it? No, true, true. So, and it's not going to be the sort of milk steam is only going to be water. It'll be the water that's coming off the milk. So I just, whether that flavours it at all, but I I agree with you. I looked at it and thought, oh, it's in water. Um, I would have expected it to be milk. But then when I thought about it, I thought, well, does it make any difference? Uh, Nobody commented. Uh, It wasn't highlighted in the judging. It wasn't highlighted as they very often do, as an issue when they're on, on, on the voiceover. So maybe it doesn't make any difference. But I don't know. But um, I love the idea, having watched the, some of the others try and do their, what you call it, when they uh, try and get that wonderful shake Quenelle. off two spoons, Cornell, when they were trying to Cornell it, I thought, pipe it. You're going to get so much more of an interesting shape. Mm. I just thought it was a great idea. And I wish, I wish Shabira had done that. Rather than it looked like a chicken, breaded chicken. Because I, I didn't think hers looked awfully pretty. It made me go, meh. Although it obviously tasted lovely. I didn't like the idea. Of, it did. I don't want something to look like breaded chicken and it's a dessert. So if she had piped it and then put on some of that minty soil, I think it might have been nicer. But I'm definitely going to give it a go with piping it. I thought it was genius from Yanush in that respect. Something we also saw a lot of was the alcohol. Now, this is something we touched on in our last episode about how we maybe think the alcohol's gone a little far Maybe Sandra had done this again. He said that he thought his first attempt at the Ile Flotton was too simple, so he thought he needed to add more booze. And this is something that the judges picked up on and said it was too alcoholic and uh, too much Prosecco. You got carried away. So what do we think of that? I think, as Jane touched on last week, I think the booze is sort of a running joke that's maybe gone on a bit too long that proves some sort of borderline alcoholic and the way to sweeten her up and get a good response is by loading up with booze. And I think, at the risk of sounding mean, I think Sanjo is a bit of a repeat offender at just sort of adding booze to everything. They said it was very boozy, which is, I don't think that's a compliment, i got to be honest. So yeah, I think that was possibly a bit of a mistake but we're always looking for a way to sort of spice things up and make them a bit more interesting it's probably not what what i would have done but it did i mean it's it sounded all right but maybe just the balance was a bit wrong there well because he put a jelly in the bottom didn't he we made with prosecco i think that's what they said they could have done without the prosecco in the jelly at the bottom the brandy was enough and it is it is all a matter of balance isn't it how much you put in I thought it looked pretty. It was a little bit over the top, but then I don't mind that too much. Howard, what do you think? I think he got a lot of elements in there, hadn't he? So again, I think he was trying to keep adding some extra things. We got the cherry, the almond, the the hazelnut, prosecco jelly, brandy creme anglaise, uh, and and a bit of chocolate shavings in there for, for good measure. So perhaps just to dial down a little bit, draw back a bit on some of those elements, I think. And somebody else using alcohol as well was Kevin, using Prosecco, not in the creme anglaise, but in the meringue. And uh, Paul said that the Prosecco had disintegrated the meringue. And uh, sounding like Dan is highly against this idea. Dan, thoughts on this? Oh, God. What an error. I think it's just, it's one of those things that... 
you often get hung up on what you think is a good idea and what an error. And the thing is, well, by the time you're in the tent and Paul or Prue is saying to you, are you sure this is a good idea? It's kind of a bit too late unless you've really been convinced it's a bad idea. But I just thought, why would you ever do that? Meringue is notoriously unstable. Why would you introduce anything that's going to destabilize it? I just think it's such an error. And uh, Kevin really paid the price. I don't think anything went brilliantly for Kevin in the signature. Prue said that it slackened the creme anglaise the the puree i think it was the slack in the creme anglaise and the meringue had just utterly disintegrated and he lost the um floating island part of the floating islands and just yeah what what an error stop with all the alcohol guys i mean i know it's all happened three months ago at this point but it's 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 not helping you <laughs> but i feel we ought to talk about abdul because we he's i think sort of bouncing along under the radar which i think we said last week may mean that he's going to be in the final Apart from his meringue losing a little bit of height, I thought his sounded delicious, didn't it? With pistachio praline or praline or however you pronounce it. A nice orange creme anglaise. I love a bit of orange in a custard, as anybody who's been to my donut class will know. And I think it looked really pretty with his caramel swirl on the top. He's a dark horse's abdul, I think. He could sort of come up on the outside rail horse racing term don't know does that mean he might come in and win at the end i don't know but i i, I feel we don't mention him enough but i think he does some fairly pretty solid bakes each week i, I like the look of his yeah but he's coming across as an also ran isn't he oh. i think that that's i just it's a curious edit and it, if if he does go home soon it's almost a mean edit because the, the, i feel like we haven't seen he's got a perfectly sparkling personality but i don't think we've seen enough of him so i'm i'm just so curious about what's going to happen to abdul i can't make heads or tail of it so this is another reminder that no matter who you are, no matter how you present yourself in the tent, no matter how you bake, if the edit is maybe less than favourable, you might not get quite as much of somebody across the screen as, as you'd want to. It seems quite arbitrary. Like, there was a guy, and admittedly, he went home in week two in my season called Luke, and no one remembers him. He just wasn't in the show. And it's curious. I don't really understand. Some people just seem to get a little bit more screen time than others. And um, Abdul just seems curiously, like, we don't see very much of him. And I'm just, like, kind of feel a bit sorry for him because he's perfectly lovely. And why don't we see more of him? I don't know. Mm, I agree. I agree. I don't know. But, well, only time will tell to see whether they're saving his best till last and maybe, you know, a surprise winner. But I agree. I think we ought to mention him more on our podcast all the time that he's there because I think he's very, very nice. Yeah, overall, he's produced some really interesting things as well. It's not like anything he's done has been particularly terrible. Uh, you know, some of the stuff has been his his flavours have been great. We haven't always liked the way that he's decorated things, but his flavours have been wonderful, I think. I'm suspicious that Abdul might be sneaking his way into the final and they're they're playing us for fools in the edit making us think he's no threat maybe they are, <laughs> maybe they are yes well let's talk about maxi as well she had a blueberry lagoon themed eel flottant topped with a blueberry sauce pistachios and caramelized sugar swirls Prue's comments were, I'm not sure it's enough for a dessert, but the combo of flavours was delicious. And Paul said the blueberry sauce was nice and tart, but the creme anglaise could have been a bit thicker. Now, we touched on this last week about Maxi. Is she doing enough? I mean, this is something that Prue brought up. What do we think this week? Do we think she's slipping down the pack or do we think she's nice and steady and calm? 
again, just picking up on what, what Dan said, it, it could be the way that, that it's just being edited at the moment. And again, it may be that, that we're seeing Maxi slip down a little bit and then she's going to triumph again. Uh, but I I didn't feel this was a, a brilliant week for her. I took the comment, not enough for a dessert, as being there wasn't enough in the bowl. I didn't take it as a criticism of how much work she'd done. So I, you you seem to have taken it a different way. But I just thought it was incredibly ordinary. I think we talked about it last week of her playing it safe. I thought this was, well, in theory, playing it safe, but then not doing the best custard that she could have done. So if you, if you go simple, there's nothing wrong with going simple, but you have to execute it beautifully. And I think if you go simple and you don't execute it beautifully, you're going to get hammered twice because it wasn't it wasn't outstanding on either front. So, um, yeah, I think that's where playing safe can really get you in trouble quite quickly. So I think, yeah, maybe a little bit of a misstep for Maxi on that one. But overall, I think they did great, actually. There are a couple of little things that weren't perfect, but overall they were great. You know, it's not, not something that we'd always uh, feel inspired to make. It is a bit of a faff, but it made me want to make them, actually, because they looked rather delicious. And actually, they probably don't take that. It's probably just a lot of work. It probably doesn't actually take that long to make them, does it? No, I don't think so. And you can make your custard ahead of time, can't you? And just pop it in the fridge. Um, don't make it too thick, everybody. It has to be more of a soup. Interesting when people were putting it into the fridge, I didn't notice that they were covering it or putting any paper down on the surface. Please don't put cling film right down on the surface because everybody knows I hate cling film. Surely a skin would have formed. Does a skin form on a really thin custard? It should do. So, uh, But I didn't notice they were covering it. But yes, just make it in advance and then just poach your meringues on the day. It's a cold dessert, so you can get it all ready, can't you? Now, I think we need to talk about Kevin, which I've been waiting to say for this whole podcast. I finally got it in. We need to talk about Kevin. Lately, he's really nailing his flavours, but his technique is really flawed. We'll talk about the showstopper when we get there, but that is a prime example. Again, the judges really liked his flavours in his Ile Flotton, but... His technique with the alcohol in the meringue is flawed. Last week with his Halloween cake, the flavours were great, but it was melted and sunken. Do we think Kevin is bake-off material if he <gasps> if his techniques aren't aren't up to scratch? What do we think? Controversial question. He got further than I did. What are you trying to say? <laughs> I'm asking the deep probing questions here, Dan. Our listeners deserve to get to the heart of the question. The technique, it needs to be learned over years and you can't fast track that. It just takes you a while to learn the techniques uh, that are involved in baking. And yes, some people who walk into that tent don't know all the techniques, but if they work hard enough in the signatures and the showstoppers, there's no reason they can't pull them off. We've got enough time to research things if you don't know how to do them. And yes, you can't make up for five years of experience, but you can still figure this stuff out for example on my season uh Bryony made the semi-final i think she'd been baking for less than a year uh before she went into the tent so and chigs yeah, yeah he yeah. yeah so it's it's not really being not being that experienced isn't really in an, an excuse in and of itself but you're right he has fallen down on a few technical things but also, as people who've been in the tent, we know how little time you really have between each episode. So you can't, you know, you're really only at home for three full days, maybe, maybe four full days. So it's, you don't have time 
to, to research everything and nail everything in between the episodes. There's also a bit of a panic as well. When you are developing recipes in isolation and you, 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 you are developing your recipes without knowing who the other bakers are, knowing what they're doing, the fear sometimes that you might be doing something which is just a little bit too simple or a little bit straightforward pushes people into making decisions about, oh, I wonder if I put some Prosecco in my meringue, whether that will be a good idea. And the answer is no, but, <laughs> you know, he, he he just thought, I need to go for that. Couldn't agree more with Howard. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. You, you write to them at home and you feel that you need to chuck the kitchen sink at every recipe because every, everybody else is going to as well. Um, and I just think that was unfortunate. But I really like Kevin, and I think he, he was beginning to sh- relax in the tent. His personality is really beginning to come out. I'm finding him quite funny and he makes some really good comments and I enjoy watching him. I really love the comment that Matt said when he was with Kevin. He went, am I right or am I meringue? Or am I meringue? Meringue. (laughs) Am I right or am I meringue? Uh, which I thought was quite clever and I can't say it but it made me laugh lovely well said everybody it is a very stress must be a very stressful environment and anybody that makes the tent is an incredibly impressive baker so let's move on to our technical we had pistachio and praline ice creams made in a waffle cone which had to be coated with chocolate and chopped pistachios the judges wanted a smooth ice cream and a crisp waffle cone and we had two hours and 45 minutes to do this now this was a staggered start challenge something we've seen with souffles and chocolate fondants before um, to make sure that everybody's ice cream isn't melting all over the place however we did have some melty ice cream quite a lot of it unfortunately from janusz and shabira Jane, what do we think about all this melting ice cream all over the tent? Well, it was classic, wasn't it? Classic Bake Off edit as well. They were saying if they put it in when it's hot, it'll it'll raise the temperature of the freezer and then their ice cream won't set or won't freeze. And then we watched Janusz and Shabira put theirs in really hot into their freezer. And then we heard Shabira say later on, the freezer's at four degrees which clearly isn't going to freeze anything. So they fell down by putting really hot stuff straight into the freezer and raised their temperature. I think, I think they've all must have had their own fridges, which we didn't. We all had to share, which uh, was very annoying because then there was never enough freezer room and we ended up with ice cream gates, didn't we? But I, I think that was the problem with theirs. They didn't get it cold enough before they went put it into the freezer to, to set. And they should have done what everybody else seemed to do, was stick it on a, an ice bath to really chill really chill it down. And as we do very often in our classes, when we want to get our jam chilled really quickly or our custard chilled really quickly, we put it on something with a big surface area and then pop it in the fridge to try and cool it down really quickly. And they just didn't get theirs cooled down fast enough. And that's where they fell flat on their faces, unfortunately, for, for those two, because they were they looked awful, didn't they? And we had another comment from Sandro, who'd never made ice cream before. And he says, it's not a thing when the ice cream van parks just outside your house. So he's uh, 
He's not making his own ice cream. He's not making his own custard. What is he making? Dan, did you take issue with this from Sandro? And this was another one. I'm coming for you hard today, Sandro. He said at the beginning, I've never heard of a custard ice cream. And I thought, what on earth are you talking about, man? Like, that's uh, like French. Like, so there's basically there's I mean, there are a few more these days, but essentially it's gelato which is just sort of like cream and sugar. And then you have like the French style uh, ice cream, which is made with a custard. And it's, people have their preferences, but yeah, I make French vanilla ice cream all the time. I actually have that same ice uh, ice cream maker that they had in the tent. So I would have been laughing on this challenge. I mean, I probably still would have burnt my waffle cones, but I would have done the ice cream fine. But if you haven't made ice cream before, actually that trick with the freezer is not something you might have thought of. You might not have realised, oh, I need to freeze my ice cream afterwards. So that's probably why a couple of them, maybe if they hadn't made their own ice cream, made that mistake. But Sandro, despite having never made an ice cream before, somehow um, it all went beautifully for him. I think, I don't know if that was a bit of beginner's luck, but I thought his looked absolutely wonderful. And can I just say, I love this challenge. Initially, when they're like they're making ice cream, I thought, well, there's going to be a lot of sitting around, but they were busy the whole time. They were, they were, the whole time was busy and they made so many different elements. And I thought whoever designed this technical actually give them a big old pat on the back. And I love the fact that it was a bit of a cold day. So nobody could blame the fact that their ice cream was melting on the heat. Um, so actually, I thought that was lovely. We were all joking. I remember it was very hot this summer. It was record temperatures. And at the time, we were all saying, ha ha, I bet it's ice cream week on Bake Off this week. And I'm glad that that didn't happen. I mean, maybe it'll be chocolate week when that happened. Who knows? You know, I'm glad that the heat didn't get in the way of the ice cream and nobody could blame the heat on the fact that their ice cream didn't work. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of technique involved. And if you've never made it before, it's not surprising you got it wrong. But somehow, Sandro got it all right. So uh, clearly, uh, the fortune is smiling upon him today in the tent. I, th- I think it was interesting as well that he thought that fortune was smiling on him from the start because he was a ba- at the back of the tent. He thought yes. he was going to be able to observe what everybody else was doing. And then they do a staggered start and he's there on his own, bless him. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Yeah. A question for you guys. Do we think it's fair in a technical challenge to give the bakers extra pieces of equipment that they might not have used before? So things like the waffle press, the ice cream machine. Do we do we think that's... That's a fair thing to do? Sure. I think it's better to have a, a waffle press than, than to be trying to make tacos with the the bottom of an oven dish. Well, I just mean we've had issues with people with deep fat fryers before, not being not knowing how to use a deep fat fryer and things turning off. And sometimes it can be a little bit of a, a disadvantage if you've not used an ice cream machine before. I mean, to be fair, a waffle press is quite simple. But I think that the whole point of a technical, in my opinion, is to to sort of check your general experience and knowledge of baking. And sure, if you have less experience, then you're going to do worse at it. But isn't that sort of the point of the technical, that the people who know what they're doing or have good baking instincts will do better? And I obviously, I speak as someone who genuinely did very well in the technicals. I was usually, I don't think I was only ever in the bottom half once. Um, you know, I was always at the top end because I had quite a lot of experience. So I loved the technicals. And maybe I would feel differently if I had fared differently. But no, of course it's to it's to test experience that's the whole point of the technical surely i didn't do brilliantly in technicals but i still love doing them i i really enjoyed them much no i did too they didn't worry me although i didn't do as well as you did dan in technicals but i i think there's nothing difficult with switching on an ice cream maker 
And you could always, to be honest, and you can always go and ask somebody, how do you turn it on? You know, they, they don't want you to fail because you don't know how to turn on an ice cream maker. So, uh, yeah, I'm totally with Dan. It, there's nothing hard about those bits of equipment. And anybody could burn a waffle, couldn't they? I mean, one of our technicals was piping lacy pancakes on our batter week. And we were only allowed to do one test. And they watched us like hawks. So once we'd done our one test in that pan, we had to get six. The next six had to be ones that we presented, which I thought was a bit harsh. Great TV, though. Uh, well, supposedly, <laughs> God, who, who wants a pancake with no pancake in it and lots of lace? But there we go. That's another story. But they seemed to be able to make as many of these waffle cones as they could. So it's very easy to work out how long you should put them in the waffle press for. So I don't think it was harsh, Sarah. I I think they should all have been able to cope with that. Now, had they only been allowed to make six cones and you burnt two or three, then that would have been that would have been mean. But I don't think it's mean at all. The investigative journalist is coming out in me this week. We're getting close to the end. We we want the hard questions. Dan, what do you think? Do you know what's interesting is, in my opinion, the the most common mistake that you make making ice cream, which is the mistake that I often make because I'm often a little careless, is if you overchurn your ice cream, it ends up being greasy because you end up sort of making butter within the ice cream. So you need to churn it for the optimum amount of time. So if you don't chill your custard right down before you churn it, then you can end up with something. You know, if you put, if it goes in hot, you have to churn it for so long to cool it that it ends up being a bit greasy. And I'm surprised nobody made that mistake or it wasn't called up on because the first few times I made ice cream it it was literally had chunks of butter in it so I'm surprised that nobody sort of made that mistake yeah very greasy mouthfeel so I'm surprised that nobody mentioned that because I I would think that would be the most obvious thing to go wrong oh that's interesting I've I've never experienced that but I have I've only got I haven't my ice cream maker hasn't got a freeze element to it so I have to chill down the container and then that only lasts so long before it warms up so I always really chill my custard down before it goes into my freeze yeah I don't know whether you've seen them they because some of them those ones they had you plug them in and they will continue chilling but mine for as long as my frozen pot lasts being frozen it will continue to cool my custard and freeze my custard down. So I've never experienced that, but it's a really good point. It forces you into a good practice. It forces me into a good practice, yeah. So in the technical, we had Shabira coming sixth with her melting ice cream, Janosch not far behind, fifth, same problem. Abdul was fourth with his slightly burnt waffle cones. Kevin was third, a Good attempt, but just a little bit messy. Maxie just missing out on top spot. If she'd just put another scoop on there, maybe she would have come first. But Sandro steaming ahead with his lovely, attractive ice creams. Uh, cones, lovely and crisp. And uh, I think Paul said the ice cream is creamy and well set. And they definitely enjoyed the chocolate piping on the inside to stop all the extra ice cream leakage. Howard, do you think this was a fair judgment on the technical? Oh, it was. I, did you know, I thought Sandra's looked amazing. I, I re- you know, I, I really did think he'd done a bake that looked like the exemplary bake that they tucked into earlier. So, well done. Brilliant job. Yeah, really magnificent. Mm, I agree. Actually, and I really want to make some pistachio ice cream now. So let's move on to some questions. Thank you once again, everybody who sent in some questions for us. We have two for you guys today. 
We have a first question from Richard in Missouri, who says, in past seasons, people have brought in special tools, Nancy's cake guillotine, for example, to help them with the bakes. I've heard from past podcast episodes and from online classes that some bakers are told that there are limits on what they can bring in from home to help them. Do you think there's ever been a time where somebody's special baking tools have given them an unfair advantage? Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Not that I have a strong opinion about this. (laughs) I wasn't allowed to bring in a a couple of things I wanted to bring in because they were deemed sort of a bit too commercially looking and not really appropriate. Do you remember when Hermione had like an air gun to spray on her velvet? She did sort of a velvety coating on the outside of a cake and she had a full on like compressed air air gun with shield. And I just thought that's not something I do in my kitchen. So I think sometimes people do have tools that you think, wow, you're able to achieve a really professional finish very quickly with a really, by virtue of having a really expensive piece of equipment rather than relying on your own technique. I think, you know, there's, there's a line where sometimes you think, oh, may, you know, maybe you're crossing that line a little bit. Not that I begrudge anybody a good result, but sometimes I do feel that, yeah, a bit of equipment, if you've got the right bit of equipment, that can really, really, really help you out. But sometimes it's just the fact that people don't know about things. You know, you can't blame someone for knowing about a great piece of kit and wanting to use it. But yeah, sometimes I do think, wow, I'm surprised that slipped through. And Hermine using her, her uh, compressed air gun, that really, at the time, I was like, I cannot believe they allowed that. And there was me like a chump spraying out mine out of a can that got clogged what about you Jane can you think of one did you request one of those because I think we could request any piece of equipment we were we were quite timid when we first started in the tent and didn't even realize we could request anything we wanted but you know I'm sure had you known about it and thought oh I could really do with one of those Bake Off, could you please get one for me in the tent? I wanted to bring my own dehumidifier to dry out my cookies faster, the royal icing cookies, and they said no. <laughs> oh, okay. Why are you laughing? Oh. Why are you laughing? Because that sounds like <laughs> cheating. It's like bringing in a hairdryer to cool your cake. <laughs> I don't know why you did anyway, because all you need to do is put the oven on really low and that will dry your cookies out. So just... but I needed my oven to <laughs> bake cookies, all right? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah. fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. What I did have issues with is, well, it. Cha- I think the rules have changed because Kevin, was it last week he had a bone cutter uh, for his for his cake? Or was that the week before? Probably the week before. Um, and we were not allowed to bring shop cutters in. Uh, they were really strict on us. And uh, my darling husband, who... It, is absolutely amazing. It used to make me cutters out of bits of old biscuit tin because you couldn't bring along one that was for sale in the shops because it might appear to be advertising for this cutter, even if it didn't have a name on it. And then you see people, where were we? Oh, no, Andrew and I were back for a Christmas special and we were making our own fondant and we were making our own cutters and we were being really careful and going around bits of cardboard and cutting out and doing all, all sorts of things. And then the other side of the tent, they were using shop bought fondant and, and shop bought cutters. So I think the rules have changed and I'm very much in make it all yourself and constructed over leftover washing up bottles and things like that. Whereas now I think there's so much more equipment that you can use in the tent as long as it doesn't have a brand name on it. And I have, I have no objections. If somebody knows how to use one of those spray guns, 
I don't. I wouldn't have asked for one because I wouldn't know how to use it then. Why shouldn't you? I know it's supposed to be home baking and we like things to be accessible to everybody. But for a showstopper, you know, no holes barred, I think. Howard, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, no, I I, I was going to make the same point as Jane. Uh, I think it was last week when we saw... Sandro using moulds for his skulls. In the past, you probably wouldn't have got got away with that, but now, you know, it's it seems perfectly acceptable to do to use commercially available moulds and things like that. Is that the Channel Four effect? Maybe wasn't it somebody like Flora or Martha? Was it Martha who she made little chess pieces from caramel out of a mould, and she was picked up on? because she shouldn't have, I think Paul said she shouldn't have used a mould, it was too lazy or something. And we've seen so many chocolate skulls in Abdul's Day of the Dead, Tres Leches Cake, and as we've said last week in Sandro's chocolate skull globe. So things do seem to change. Coming through with the encyclopedic Bake Off knowledge. (laughs) I've watched so many episodes of Bake Off for this. Well, thank you, Richard, for that question. We have another question here from Glyn in Pembrokeshire in Wales. Do you think there have ever been times where the judges' personal opinions on flavours affect their judging? For example, I hate... (laughs) Let me finish, Dan, please. For example, I hate chilli and agree with you all that it can be too much in a cake, but my dad loves it and always thinks there's not enough chilli in things. So does, do the judges' personal tastes inhibit their impartial judging? Dan, I think we know your answer to that. Yeah, of course they do. So, for example, in um, we... No, I remember when we were doing... It was Meringue Roulade week, and me and John were laughing about it because me and John both got handshakes in that week. And John said to me, oh, I deliberately made mine uh, passion fruit and mango because... Paul said that that's one of his favourite flavours and I laughed and I said yeah I deliberately made mine lime because I know that he says he likes key lime pie that's one of his favourite desserts and we were both laughing about it that both of us who deliberately catered to Paul had ended up doing very well and we'd executed our bakes very well as well but we deliberately picked flavours to appeal to the judges and to be honest like, yes, it's maybe a bit of a cheap way of doing it, but, like, it's also a pretty smart way of doing it, isn't it? I think, you know. Yeah, I think there's some truth in that. But I also think sometimes it's it's quite nice when the judges say, well, this is matcha, I don't really like matcha or something, but actually, you know, this this works for me. So it's quite nice sometimes to to go against what you think are their favourite flavours. Uh, and you can also go over the top, as we've we've said on numerous occasions, Sandro with his um, booze bottles, thinking that he just needs to pour another another glass for Prue. There was something a couple of years ago, wasn't there, where Paul almost refused to eat something because I can't remember what it was. Was it a chutney? It or... was on the burgers. Yeah, it was on the burgers, wasn't it? It was something on the yeah, chut- burger with gherkins. Gherkins, that's right. That's it. And, and I think if you're going to be a judge... You ought to try and get over your preferences. I I know it's a hard thing to do, but you can't just write off every gherkin in the country because you don't happen to like it. I thought that was very poor that that year, and I would like to think that they could sort of judge things based on what is good rather than what they particularly like to eat. I mean, fortunately... You know, we don't have any vegetarian judges because that would be 
jealous you're out the window and things. So you just, I suppose it's only human to go for things that we like. If someone takes a gherkin off a burger or requests that their burger comes without a gherkin, I immediately think less of them and can't be friends with that person anymore. <laughs> Are you friends with Paul? I wasn't aware that you were. Do you know what? I liked I liked Paul a lot in the tent, actually, but he hasn't messaged me. He hasn't stayed in touch. Um, oh, I God. know, hasn't he? I, I thought we'd hang out, but it didn't happen. You hang out with him quite a lot, right? Yeah, I do because he lives down the road from me, so I see him all the time. Now I've never seen him since I've been out of the tent. No, not, not at all. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I, I think he moves in a younger set than I do. Thank you very much, Richard and Glyn, for your questions there. Keep all your questions coming in to us. You can send them to us at Bake With A Legend. We are Bake With A Legend on all social media platforms, or you can email us at thebakedown at bakewithalegend.com. So now we move on to our showstopper, where the judges asked everybody to bake an exquisitely decorated set custard gatto. This needed to include multiple baked layers supported by layers of set custard where custard had to be the hero or the star flavour. Now, Howard, we've spoken about Kevin's cake, maybe not being the most structurally sound, but what did you think of Kevin's flavours? Because the judges loved them. Yeah, it sounded lovely. I, I thought the idea of honey, thyme and bay on a daquoise base and then mixing that with, with something a bit fruity, some raspberries in there, some nectarines. Um, and he's, oh, Prosecco again, though, in his macaron. Not sure about that. But yeah, they, I, I, I love a bit of some herbs in a custard. I I. Um, I've done bay custard tarts on numerous occasions. So I think it's quite a trendy thing to do, or trendy in my book anyway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it sounded, sounded good, just not great structurally. It looked beautiful as well with the jelly on the top, didn't it? It looked mm -hmm. kind of like a frasier. I think it looked absolutely lovely. It's a shame. It's such a shame when things like that collapse because it could have been so wonderful, couldn't it? I think they get a bit carried away. I think had he done that, instead of having... At three distinct cakes, had he layered that up with maybe three layers of sponge and two layers of custard and then jelly, i.e. just one cake, it would have held together much better and it would have been equally as lovely, if not more so. so I think it was just the fact they, that, again, they feel the need to do too much. These three-layer cakes, we do not need three-layer cakes. You know, you can, as so many of the others, and certainly Shabira showed, that you can have different layers within a single cake and, and pull it off brilliantly. So his flavours and his idea was great, but just keep it all in one cake. And then it would have been perfect. In fact, I want to make one just like that, but in a single layer, but maybe with two or three layers of sponge, because there was nothing wrong with, the only thing wrong with it was the fact that he did as a three-tier cake instead of a three-layer cake, if that makes sense. And I think sometimes the judging is a little bit unfair, because, and I'm, I'm going cross-season with this, but like, so Kevin's cake was kind of lopsided and squishy, but then I remember it was, I think it was vegan week in my season and Ruby had a two tier cake. For some reason, the cakes were both the same size and it literally toppled off and fell onto the side. 
And I feel sometimes the criticism for these things is a little bit unequal. I thought Kevin sounded incredible. They obviously loved the flavour of it. And yes, it, it was it hadn't quite executed perfectly. But I don't know how many points we really want to take off for that. I think, you know, that was still a glorious thing. In four hours. Four hours is all they had to set this stuff as well. Well, we've mentioned we want to talk a bit more about Abdul, and I think his showstopper is definitely something to talk about. Was it a gatto particularly? Not sure. But his peach and raspberry... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair enough. But his peach and raspberry milfoy just looked absolutely stunning. And Prue said very professional and stylish, Custard was definitely the hero. I think I think they said the pastry just needed a tiny bit more cooking, but I loved the idea of the caramelised peaches specifically. And what a fantastic idea to do a giant milfoy. No problems with stacking and falling over for Abdul. Dan, what do you think? I think you'll find it's pronounced mille fouille, but it's... <laughs> oh, I'm uh, so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> No. <laughs> no, it's uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I call them. No, I'm just. I know that's not how it's pronounced, but it always just brings me a little. It brings a little smile to my face to call them mille fouille. I think they're right, though. The pastry did look a little bit bland. You know, you do want a little bit of color because you want a little bit of contrast. Not only do you want the crispness, but you want that little bit of car- the the hint of caramelization. You want to taste that. Um, I think it adds a nice contrast. It looked magnificent. I don't know how much work was in that, to be completely honest, but it looked great. The custard was definitely the star. The decoration was lovely. Was there as much work in that as in some other things? I don't know, but it looked great. I will just say, and this is right, so this is going to sound slight. okay. So Abdul said, I'm using your recipe And I just thought, what the actual fudge? Like, that's... Okay. So I joked with Paul about using his recipe for raspberry jam, but that's literally raspberries and sugar. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's not a whole recipe. Using someone's, like, whole pastry technique, I just like, really? I don't know. I just think, is that... If he really did, if it was just the technique that he copied, I could kind of understand it. But if he literally ripped off Paul's recipe and used it, I just think, well, then where's the where's your invention into it? It maybe seemed like a minor point to people, but that really rubbed me up the wrong way because we know how much work goes into writing and developing these recipes. And to think that somebody just thought, oh, I'll lift a, you know, half of my recipe out of the judge's recipe book and just use that. I just thought that was, I didn't like that. I think as well, it's a strange thing with Paul because uh, I remember in in our year there was when we had to do breadsticks. One of the bakers um, said that they were using Paul's recipe for breadsticks, and I thought, really, is that allowed? I thought we were supposed to be doing original recipes, but he seemed to like. Oh well, they'll be really good. So I think if you do a recipe that's one of Paul's or based on one of Paul's. Um, he kind of turns a blind eye to the fact that it's not that it's supposed to be original. Yeah, I, th- I thought it looked lovely. Again, I just think he, he did too much, but it looked stunning, didn't it? And I think somebody, and I missed, I didn't write who down, who said it, said it was highly saleable. I think that was possibly Prue that said that. Uh, and it, bottom layer was a triumph, Paul said, but the coffee custard a bit gloopy. But it looked spectacular. Oh. If I turned that out... 
I would have been utterly delighted. How he did that in four hours, I really don't know. It looked gorgeous and the flavour sounded nice. They all seemed to sort of raise eyebrows about microwaving his custard. Now, when I get it out of a bird's cust- tin of bird's custard, which we used to use a lot, which I don't tend to use anymore, um, unless you want to make custard for a vegan, and then it's brilliant because it is vegan. It was designed for Mr. Bird's, whoever designed it's wife, who was couldn't eat egg. Anyway, um, I might microwave that if I'm in a hurry, but I've never microwaved proper custard. So, you know, it seemed to work, didn't it? But everybody raised eyebrows about it. But I thought Sandra did a really, really good job. It looked amazing, absolutely amazing. But I wish they wouldn't carry on slapping buttercream all over things. As pretty as it looks and as stable as it is, I don't like buttercream very much. But it, it it looked brilliant and they seemed to like it. So good on Sandro. I thought Sandro was back. It looked splendid. So, yeah, I think absolutely right, Jane. Like Sandro did a fantastic cake there. I think it was Janusz who said, you know, what kind of witchcraft is this that you can do this in, in four hours? It was magnificent. It looked lovely. God only knows why he took on the challenge of creating this tower of cake, but he definitely pulled it off, didn't he? I think, I think it looked absolutely wonderful. And the only person who could hold a candle to what Sandro was doing was of course Shabira who absolutely smashed this by all accounts I again I couldn't believe that Dawn didn't get a handshake for a showstopper I can't believe Shabira didn't get a handshake for this one because I thought that was magnificent the custard was absolutely the star it was set beautifully had a nice jiggle without being gelatinous it was incredible. The decoration was wonderful. The pineapple flowers, the flavours, everything about it was just glorious. And I don't think I could have produced anything like that in a million years. Uh, I thought that was absolutely wonderful and a real standout. And I don't know if we'll be quite comparing it to the bread lion in years to come, um, because I don't think anything will surpass our lovely bread lion. But it was that was I thought that was absolutely exceptional. It was really beautiful and using the custard as a buttercream on the outside not only gives it a more custardy flavour, which is what the judges want, but Jane, it goes with what you were saying as well about, you know, not taking away from all those flavours by adding a buttercream, uh, by adding more custard. So that's what we wanted. Howard, what did you think of Shabira's? Oh, I thought it was lovely. Absolutely gorgeous. I think it's so heartwarming when somebody does something and pulls it off. And she admitted herself she wasn't quite sure how she'd managed to do it. There are so many times in the tent when you do things and they go wrong and you don't know why they've gone wrong. And for it to be the other way around, for something to just go perfectly, it's like fantastic. Did she colour up some of those pieces of pineapple? Because she had the sort of standard colour that you would expect from as one obviously does expect pineapple flowers, but she had some red ones. So she must have used some food colouring to colour those up just to give that bit of contrast. Thought they were stunning. And what did she have around the outside? I know she she buttercreamed it, but... I think it was toasted coconut flakes. I think that's what it was. Oh, okay. Yes, that would make sense. Yes, toasted coconut. That that would make... Oh, it was beautiful. I think it's my favourite thing of the series absolutely stunning she she's come up with some 
just really innovative designs for her bakes. You know, if you think about those little buns that split open and things like that, but not only this time did she come up with a beautiful design, but fabulous flavors and really executed it well. I thought it was a shine out star of the series so far. Now let's talk about our other two bakers who didn't do quite as well as they were hoping. Maxie's Promised Land Coconut Almond Daquoise with all her lovely colorful sponges and fruits. They thought it didn't really celebrate custard enough. And I think Prue said it's supposed to be about the set custard. There's not enough custard and none of it is set. So not really hitting the brief there. And Janusz with another drip cake, which I'm sure you guys are going to pick apart in a moment. He had a lot of gluey custards there as well. Prue said she was expecting the taste to be very fresh I don't know what cake she was thinking of because it was all chocolate. So I don't know what was supposed to be fresh about it, but um, not really hitting the brief, those two. Jane, what do you think about those? Mm, I didn't like that at all. Yeah, the drip. I mean, it looked pretty, didn't it, with the sort of Neapolitan piping, but condensed milk buttercream. I've never come across that before, and I really didn't fancy that at all. We had another drip, which was... Drippy, oh, you know, I just, I'm fed up with drips. I love Janusz, but I am fed up with drips. And then dark chocolate and raspberry. Well, that might have been a bit of fresh. I quite like that combination. And then strawberry and ruby, ruby chocolate. And then white chocolate and vanilla. Yes, it was all going to be a bit claggy, wasn't it, I think. And then she he probably just thickened it. It was like custard-like wallpaper paste and gloopy with it. It tasted awful. I, ooh, I, I don't know. Potato starch in it as well. I, you know, the whole thing just didn't come together as far as I was concerned. So I think the expression was: they said, "Looks impressive, proportions good, sponge is nice," and actually, the adjectives got gradually worse, didn't they? Till they got to the end, it just wasn't his bake. And I just hope we don't see any more drip cakes, please. You know change the record really i think it was very damning very damning it Um, was wasn't it yeah and also i don't really listen so in like scandinavian cakes they use a lot of potato flour for me i don't get a good result from that i think it's easy just to use corn flour i'm not really sure what the potato flour is adding so maybe when we catch up with Janosch afterwards we can find out but yeah i've not had much success with potato flour and it also it it just didn't sound amazing. And then they said, the, you know, the custard had to be the hero and it was gloopy and dense like wallpaper paste. I mean, really, it's hard to imagine how the feedback could have been any worse for Paul Janusz. So um, we've seen him some real sparkling, shining highs. And this was definitely a big low for him today. This was not very encouraging. And as you say, Maxi equally didn't do very well they said you know it was a lovely cake but the custard isn't the hero and I think that was really the thing it is custard week although they did say about Maxie's that it was slightly messy but very attractive and that reminded me of my wedding vows (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness me and so with every week we announce a new star baker and this week it was Shabira. Again, two weeks in a row. She is definitely on a roll here. Her flavours finally coming through and winning her star baker. Dan, do you think that was a well-deserved star baker for Shabira there? I do. Do you know, when she came last in the technical, I thought, okay, she's blown it. There's no no chance for her now. Uh, even though she had a great signature because the technical was so disastrous, I thought there's no way. But then when she came through with that showstopper I thought 
there's a chance. And actually, sometimes people make something in the tent that's so amazing that we might overlook the fact that they might have bombed the technical. And I think it was well-deserved, actually. I think she produced something really incredible this week. It hit the brief beautifully. It looked stunning and tasted amazing. I don't know what more you could hope for from a Bake Off contestant. So a well-deserved star baker for Shabira, I think. And of course, it means we have to say goodbye to another baker. And this week, it was the turn of Kevin. Poor Kevin. He really did struggle with some of the techniques this week, but he goes out in a blaze of glory with his fantastic flavours. Jane, are we sad to say goodbye to Kevin? Well, I think you get to this stage of the competition and you've you've got to know the bakers and it is sad to see anybody go, to be honest. And I think several of them were in the running this week uh, and I thought that Kevin had done enough with his showstopper. Okay, it looked a bit wonky, but the flavours sounded fabulous I would have really liked to have eaten that I'm a a huge custard fan and his was the one I would have liked to have face planted so yeah it's especially sorry to see Kevin go on that one why are you laughing at me just the image of you yeah Yeah, the image Uh, of me face planting uh, a custard <laughs> to be fair, I agree with you, Jane. It looked, I wanted to swim in it. It looked oh, delightful. Oh, it was just looked gorgeous, didn't it? So, yes, very sorry. And I didn't think he necessarily deserved it this week. So, I, I think, as I said earlier, he has more to give. And now he's really settled in the tent. I thought we would see him just shine in future weeks but sadly we won't know now will we well thank you everybody for joining us for another episode of the bake down there is just time to mention some of our upcoming classes we have this weekend we've been talking about custard and we've got a similar thing going on this week with ian's charlotte royale class on the 29th of october where we'll be doing a beautiful swiss roll and then a lovely set bavoir in the middle so if we've got you in the mood for custard week head on down to ian's charlotte royale class on the 29th of october and we've also on the 29th got more howard because we all need more howard in our lives we've got howard's profiterole stack on the 29th as well and we also of course have howard's mystery custard class coming to you on the 30th of october and then repeated again on the 5th of november so if anybody wants to head on down to those classes we will see you there don't forget to use the code podcast for 10 percent off your next class booking dan jane and howard it's been an absolute pleasure for custard week we will see you all next week goodbye everybody you just heard a stripped media production Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 